And we look at Psalm 91, our ultimate refuge. Now this psalm is certainly one of the all-time favourites with, with many Christians. And there's very good reason for it. Because whenever believers have found themselves in all sorts of trouble, sometimes in a hospital bed, sometimes life falls apart and you cannot make any sense. The things that threaten our faith come one after the other. And, and you, take, you start to read psalms like this, and this is one of the favourite ones, so you, you, and God uses his word to infuse us with his power and his grace to trust the promises of God, to trust his promises. And I'm not just saying this, I'm not just, I, I, you know, you read many stories and, and, uh, around, the, around the world. And For example, uh, during the Boxer Rebellion in China, a missionary said that her family would have literally lost their minds had it not been for the help and strength of the 91st Psalm. The Boxer Rebellion was uh, when they kicked out missionaries and Christians and started persecuting in China with seems to be a habit and, and a lot of the times uh, these things get recycled and happen again which is exactly many of, our, many of our brothers and sisters in China are experiencing persecution at the moment. Another story comes from the great C.H. Spurgeon who told the story of Cardinal Carlo Borromeo who was the Archbishop of Milan in the 1500s. While he was, at the time, he was travelling in another town and he heard that there was a plague that suddenly struck his city, killing thousands at his own city of Milan. And when he heard this, he went at once, he returned to his city. His own council of clergy advised him to remain in some healthy part of his diocese till the the fatal sickness disappeared. But he replied that as a a bishop, his duty is to give his life for his sheep. He couldn't abandon them at at this difficult time. So he went into the town leading people to repent. He watched over them in their suffering He visited hospital and by his own example encouraging other clergy to bring consolation to those who were dying. The plague lasted four months and he laboured tirelessly. The remarkable thing is that of his own household, his own staff, only two died and they were the persons who did not go out amongst the sick. It is for this reason that a German doctor once referred to Psalm 91 as the best preservative in times of cholera and a heavenly medicine against plague and pest. Now, unlike many of the other Psalms, most of them, of course, written by King David, This one, we don't actually know who wrote this great psalm. 
It is indeed a psalm that is full of imagery and poetry that that draws the believer, that draws the believer to praise God for who he is and what he promises to us. And we're going to break this psalm down into three main parts. And this is uh, suggested by Derek Kidner who follows, who follows, he, he structured the psalm in three ways. He says, he follows the change in person from my to you to the divine I. So from my to you to the divine I. It'll make sense as we, as we open it up. First of all, we look at my refuge from verses 1 to 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. These first two verses introduce the theme for the whole of the psalm. What is it about? It is about trust and commitment in God. No matter, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. What I want us to notice first and foremost are the four names of God that reveal truths about the character of God. Now, in the English language, this is not immediately apparent. In the original language, it is, it is quite clear. There are four names that appear, four names given to God that appear here. The Most High, in Hebrew, is the word El Elyon, which means possession. God is the owner of everything. The Almighty, in Hebrew, is the word Shaddai, which means all-sufficient. The picture here is of God as the one who supplies all our needs. Follow the theme here. He owns everything and he is sufficient. He, he supplies our needs. And the Lord here is of course the very well known word Yahweh. And we have spoken about this word before. That's the, the name that, by which God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. God of promise, the eternal, the unchanging, the great I am. And we know how many times the great I am in our series in the Gospel of John appears. And my God, the fourth one, my God, in the original is the word Elohim. This name is often associated with creation as it appears in Genesis quite a few times refers to his power, Elohim. Now consider this wonderful picture that the psalmist has, has painted for us here. In just two verses, Elion, Shaddai, Yahweh and Elohim. Get your heads around this. Our God, the God of possession, the all-sufficient, the great I am, the powerful one. What a 
but an awesome God we have. In every respect, He is God. And there are two key concepts of protection which are used in many other Psalms and also here. The first is is the image of of a shelter in verse 1. We see that his, his shade shelters us from the elements like the, like the sun and the storm and hail and everything else that might fall from the heavens. The second is, is that, so one is a shelter, protection. The second is a fortress, verse 2. So one is on top of us and the other one is the fortress that is around us. We are made safe from our enemies and dangers as he himself is our fortress, the one who protects us. It's not about the thickness of the walls. It's not about how high your wall is. It's not about the the missiles and everything else that are pointed at your enemies. In a world where despite our efforts... We don't feel secure. We don't feel secure as individuals, as families, as nations. We are actually becoming increasingly insecure. In the past, if you lived in a small village, you couldn't care less about the news of what was happening in the world, in other parts of the world. Now you open up your smartphone, you look at your computer and everything else, you know exactly what's happened. A car got bombed here, an earthquake there, a volcano there, a tsunami there, another terrorist attack here and everything else and bang, bang, bang. And that's all stuff. It's it's all feeding your head and you're increasingly feeling insecure. It happens to us subconsciously. It it, it works this way because suddenly you become aware of, of all the things that could happen to us. Tell me if, if, if you can relate to this. A friend of yours suddenly is diagnosed with uh, a lung cancer, let's say, because they worked in an environment where there was a lot of smoke, a lot of smoking going on. This is, goes years back. Guess what you're going to do? The first thing you're going to be thinking about is, hang on, I used to work in a place like that. Maybe I should get checked out as well. You see the transfer that has happened? Suddenly you become secure, you become insecure and, 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 and suddenly unsafe and say, well, because you're thinking suddenly about yourself it's, again. It's all about us, right? Well, that's what society tells us. Yet, for the believer... God is, it's about God. God himself is the home for the believer. He's our roof, he's our wall, he's all. So we open up the passage with these two verses and then we we continue in verses 3 to 13. I'm going to read uh, all these verses in one go so you know that, again, so you can see the, the imagery. Please pay attention. 
Surely he will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. The fowler snare is something that people set up to trap you. Deadly pestilence is something that you have pretty much no control over. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Obviously we are following the theme of protection that we see in the opening verses. Some very striking metaphors are here, one after the other, conveying the, the assurance in different ways. Listen again to, to, to some of the dangers, snares or traps, the pestilence, the plagues, the disasters, wars, dangerous animals. Despite all this, it is God's presence that surrounds the believer and shields him or her. The various examples the psalmist is using to to tell us that the Lord's care is not limited, is not limited to I'm not going to go outside, I'm just going to stay inside because this is the safest place I'm going to be. I'm not going out at all. No, you are going to go out. You are because of work, because of travel, whatever it is. And God's care is not limited to certain places. There is, of course, this certain temptation for us who, who lived in in one of the most developed societies in history to feel safe and secure. We try and do that anyway in many ways. There are many advances in medicine. And so we go and get a check-up to the doctor if we something's not quite right here or there. And very quickly our faith can be directed to the doctor and his medicine and his tests that they will be the ones who will be able to fix us up. Our faith is placed sometimes in the different types of insurance that we take out the different insurance schemes, from personal insurance to income protection to property insurance to car insurance to 
this and that. We were trying to protect ourselves, to, to minimise risk and cover ourselves at least financially should the worst happen. This is supposed to give us, what's the big thing about insurance companies? Peace of mind. Peace of mind, that's what it's about. Making more life, life more stable. Making life more predictable. You make plans and everything should just add up and, and work. That, that there'll be, doesn't matter what happens, we're covered. Have you heard that? Just pick up a newspaper, social media, any format, and tragedy and disaster. And just for entertainment value, we go and watch shows where destruction happens. Murder, she wrote. We actually entertain ourselves watching shows about murder and killing and everything. Wasn't that supposed to make us feel a lot safer now? We watch shows where bodies are dissected, trying to find out where, how and when, and when they die. Don't you think, don't you think that all of this stuff feeds our paranoia, our anxiety? It does. That's my belief. Just look around. We are living in anxiety. We're popping pills like, like anything because we live in this anxious existence. Worried about everything. About us, about our kids, about our grandkids. It just goes on and on. Scared about everything. People that live in third world countries, some of us have come from third world countries. We don't have the luxury to live anxious, worried lives. We just got to get on with it. Yes, there are robbers. Yes, the military just took our neighbours prisoners and we don't know, they have, we haven't seen them for a couple of weeks. What are you going to do? No, we can't afford the doctor. Can't get the test. Yeah, the kid's been coughing for a couple of weeks. The village, you know, we're in a village. The doctor is two weeks away. Who are you going to depend upon? Who are you going to rest upon? This is life for the majority of people in our world. And suddenly you think that by... Your anxiety and your paranoia and your worrying that you're going to solve, you're going to control your life? Really? That's absurd. Even after taking all precautions, I listen to the prayers that you pray. I listen to the prayers that people pray. And the prayers that we pray reveal where our heart is most times, doesn't it? And even in the face 
of tragedy, even in the face of the things that, that happen to us because we live in this fallen world, sometimes those are the things that reveal ultimately where our heart is. Even when something tragic does happen to us or one of our loved ones, we often look for a reason or worse, someone to blame. Sometimes we blame God. Sometimes we blame others. The driver was distracted. The judge shouldn't have let them go. Often we blame ourselves. We say things like, if only I left home on time. If only I left later, like usual, then this would not have happened. Don't you you play the tape in your head about all the possibilities? Is that healthy? Or is it a total waste of time? Consider the words of Roland Bingham. Roland Bingham is the founder, one of the founders of the Sudan Interior Mission or uh, known today as SIM, one of the great mission agencies in the world. He was once seriously injured in a car accident. He was rushed to a hospital in a critical condition. The following day, when he regained consciousness, he asked the nurse what he was actually doing there and uh, at the hospital. And he, and he said, he says, and, and the nurse responded and says, don't try to talk now, just, just rest, she replied. You have been in an accident. Accident? Accident? Said Dr Bingham. And he continued, he says, there are no accidents in the life of a Christian. This is just an incident in God's perfect leading. How many would have a similar response? Put your hand up. (laughs) Yeah, I see no hands up because even my hand, if I had to be honest, I would not respond like that. But it's, it's, it's right there, isn't it? Isn't that what the, the response of the believer should be? In God's purposes, in God's plans, there are no accidents. They're not coincidence. They're all incidents in His perfect plan. And here we need to address an important question. Why is it then that there have been, there are millions of faithful believers who have suffered innumerable troubles and even death as a direct result of their faith in God. Is in our faith supposed to, to work like an, an armoured vehicle in the, in the cavalcade protected by angels like Donald Trump in his, in his black car? Isn't that, isn't that what you feel like your Christian life should be like? That every time you go out, you're surrounded. Isn't that what the Word of God says? How can then, if, if that's not the case, then how can this psalm be true? You see, 
When God promises us protection, he does not mean that, he will, that we will be isolated or immunised from harm, from hurt, from pain. He didn't isolate Job, did he? He said, you can do this, but thus far, only so far. Paul reminded us of what he suffered. Romans 8.35, he he spoke of, of nakedness, of peril and sword. The prophets tell us that the day will come when we await the new heavens and the new earth. Until then, we live, we remain in this fallen world, subject to the laws and rules of nature, susceptible to all the injustices that humans can inflict on one another. But remember that none of them are more powerful than God. If it is his will to protect us from harm, he does, he will. He sets a limit on the evil on the evil that can happen to us, on the evil one when he strikes. He limits the damage that Satan can impose on his own. And yes, some of these things that happen to us are incomprehensible, are beyond our understanding. But one day in eternity we will comprehend the things that he has rescued us from and we didn't even know. For example, in verse 5 he says, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. We are not told that there is no night terror, but only that we need not fear because we are under the divine wings of protection. We are not guaranteed success in every venture, nor told that we will never fail, only that we will not fall from God's purposes and from his providential care. You know the story in uh, Matthew chapter 4 where we have the story of Jesus at the start of his ministry spending 40 days fasting in the wilderness at the point of exhaustion the devil tempts him to question the promises of God and his own calling as a messiah. And this is the very psalm, verses 11 and 12, this is the very psalm that Satan quoted to Jesus in Matthew 4 when he tempted him in the desert. So it is, it is a messianic psalm, despite the fact that it was Satan who knows the scriptures very well, and it was Satan who was quoting it, Or more correctly, it was Satan who was misquoting it. He was tempting Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. To jump, 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 jump. In order to prove that it would be the angels that would indeed come to his aid. And yes, the angels did come to his aid but not until later, on God's timing, on God's terms, 
not on Satan's. Because you see, taking matters in our own hands, making God perform on our own terms seems a reasonable alternative to faith. But the Lord refused and so must we. Have you seen the videos of pastors and those parishioners who a pastor grabs a snake and mucks around with a poisonous snake? You've seen them? And actually some of them have died. It happens in different parts of the world. What are they doing? What are they doing? They are putting the Lord to the test. This very psalm says that Yes, you will be protected, but they are putting the Lord to the test. And why? How did Jesus respond to Satan? He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't do it. Don't do it. One person who loved the psalm was C.H. Spurgeon. And I've quoted him before. And he said that, the person who can live in the spirit of this psalm will be fearless even if once again London should become a leprosy hospital and the grave be gorged with carcasses, he said. And he spoke of, uh, he, he didn't just say these words and sound really nice and, poet, and, 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 and poetic, but he actually spoke this from his own personal experience. You see, in 1854... Shortly, uh, shortly after he had been called to pastor a church in London, the, the, the city of London experienced a, a major, major cholera epidemic. The death rate was so high, so high, that Spurgeon was conducting funerals every day. Not just one, but many. And he later wrote, And he said, and I quote, he says, I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed to be falling one by one and I felt that I was sickening like those around me, end of quote. And he was pretty downcast and as he was returning from yet another funeral, a poster uh, in 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 a shoe shop, in a shoemaker's shop, he put, he put this on, on the window, on the window, and the poster contained the section from Psalm 91 verses 5 to 7. Psalm 91 verses 5 to 7. And these are the words, just to repeat them. And this is what Spurgeon read. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand might fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. God's servant, C.H. Spurgeon, was pretty downcast at what he was witnessing. But he saw that, that those words there in the shoemaker's shop as, as God's word to him directly. And the impact upon Spurgeon was dramatic. And he wrote, The effect upon my heart was immediate. I felt secure, refreshed, 
girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window I gratefully acknowledge and in remembrance of its marvellous power I adore the Lord my God. End of quote. God's word is powerful, isn't it? God's word is powerful. In God's pledge, verses 14 to 16, we move from I to you to to, to God himself. God's pledge, verses 14 to 16, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. These last three verses, from me to you to God himself, who not only speaks to us, but he's actually speaking about us. In these closing statements, God himself gives authority to what has been declared. Because you see, in the final analysis, our safety is only as certain, not on the amount of insurance cover that you have, but only as certain as the guarantee that God gives, who promises We are not safe because we hope so. We are not safe just because we have taken every precaution. But we are safe because God says so. And I'm sure that the Apostle Paul had this in mind in Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 39, one of the greatest pieces of of Holy Writ. And... and, uh, we read this this wonderful declaration when he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It ends with this defying conviction that no creature, whether they are heavenly, whether they are human, whether they are less than, than human, and he says, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is after declaring in verse 28, you know, that the good, the bad, the ugly, that they all work together for the good of those who love God and who are called by him. We're going to leave here this morning and whatever situation you're facing, whatever happens to you the rest of today or the rest of the week, probably be asking yourself, does God really care? Yes, he does. Jesus faced all of those questions more profoundly than anyone and he trusted that God would defend him. At his point of death, he gave his spirit into the hands of God and finally he was raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of his father. 
And it is from this position of ultimate exaltation and ultimate power that he is our intercessor and our defender, pleading our case before the Father. And I know that when we are at the end of our tether, with all our energy spent, when we don't know what to do, have to have a faith that God will take care of us is the hardest thing to do. But I encourage you to, in those moments, to open the Word of God, read Psalm 91 or Psalms of Assurance. There are others that his words are still true. We find them difficult to believe at times. That doesn't make them less true, does it? For the psalm is telling us about the heart of God for his children. He who dwells in the presence of the living God and sheltered by him, loved by him, known by him, defended by him, has his attention all the time. There is no time when his love will fail us. He is the tender parent who wishes the very best for his children. And we should definitely trust the Father who has called us to make our home in his presence. May God bless us. Amen.